Hello, Alec. Hey, Thomas. And hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Response To. This week, we're going to be talking about The Battery, a independently produced zombie drama comedy movie uh, made in 2012, directed by Jeremy Gardner and starring uh, Jeremy Gardner and Adam Kronheim. Uh, it's currently available on Amazon Prime for free, and they are self-distributing it through their website. And now, like, what, what were the main characters' names again, just so we have a point of reference? Yeah, so the main characters of this movie were Ben, the bearded guy, and Mickey, the other guy. Uh, and they made the up, uh, before the apocalypse happened, they were two parts of the battery, which is a, a baseball term for a pitcher and a catcher. Ben was a catcher, Mickey was a pitcher. They just happened to be stuck together when the when the virus broke out. And in the movie, we see as they wander throughout uh, post-apocalyptic New England and just kind of butt heads with each other and cope with the horrible situation that they've been put into. So how long after the movie would you say that I couldn't say anything but holy crap? Uh, oh, it right around 20 minutes, I think, is uh, you were just kind of awestruck by it. I, I, I felt the same way. I watched this movie uh, just alone by myself, kind of on a whim. I saw it on a couple best independent horror movies and just decided to check it out because, hey, it was free and it had a cool trailer. And it has not only ended up being one of my favorite horror movies, but just one of my favorite movies recently. And it's really an excellent example of micro-budget independent filmmaking. The movie was made on a budget of $6,000. And really, with the exception of a few areas, you really can't tell. It it really has the fullness and the polishedness of a feature-length movie. The writing is very good. The acting was hit and miss for a little while, but it almost seemed as if the actors got more into their roles the better they got. They're, They're... their acting got much better as the movie went on, in my opinion, to the point where at the beginning of the movie, I was a little bit discouraged because Mickey, uh, who was played by Adam Kronheim, was delivering his lines really, really, they were not good. They were kind of robotic. It, it felt like a college art project. And uh, by the end of the movie, spoilers, obviously, uh, by the end of the movie, he gets bit and he's begging for his life and, and he's just he's drooling and crying and it, it's this great powerhouse of emotion for me and, and it always hits me in the gut every time I watch this movie. I've seen it probably three or four times now and it's really am- amazing to see how he goes from delivering his lines very poorly to putting on this performance at the end that just just knots up your stomach. Yeah, I man, that whole sequence was so... Well done. I mean, so we're going to start this by starting at the end. Um, (laughs) The whole car scene is both boring in a sense. Well, the movie itself is, I don't want to say boring, but just slow. It's it's almost mundane. It really, it revels in the smaller moments of this lifestyle, you know, where you're just getting these shots of, Ben petting a cow in a field or, or watching a grasshopper jump off the top of his car. And so it really has this almost tranquilic road trip movie feel to it at times 
where you just have all of these quiet little moments in between the horrors of this world that they live in that are shown with great tact and, you know, and they're really, they're always shown in musical montages with fantastic music. This movie has not only a great soundtrack made by other artists, uh, particularly Rock Plaza Central has three songs in this movie that I think are perfect for where they are. I love them, but even the original soundtrack itself is so well done. Um, I don't know if you notice this. I don't know how much of a soundtrack person you are, but the soundtrack, from what I could hear, was a lot of just uh, dissonant acoustic guitars, mm-hmm. distorted electrics, and just kind of jangly percussions that kind of come together to create this backwoods feeling of mounting dread, which I love. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and I think that all of it, you know, the soundtrack, the, the pace of the movie, um, really just puts you exactly where they are, which is instead of being a post-apocalyptic world where things are happening swiftly, there's constant attacks, there's drama that has to be dealt with. It's just two guys and occasionally there's a zombie, right? And it's, it's more, well, oftentimes in the movie, it's more about their interaction with each other and and the psychology behind how they're both dealing with it in completely opposite ways um, than it is about like, well, we're going to go into why the zombies are here and uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, all the scientific reasons why this could have happened. But they didn't do that and they, they didn't need to, in my opinion. And it really fit for me, at least, because Mickey comes very close one time to mentioning the event when he's trying to plead to uh, the people at the orchard over at the micro or over the walkie talkies. Uh, and he says, Ben and I, we were together when, and then he pauses and he says, well, we're just, we've been walking, we're alone out here. And he, he can't even talk about it, which would then make sense that if, if they can't even accept it, then there's no reason for us as the audience to know. It's not something that's pertinent to their lives at all. Right. It's not the event, it's the aftermath. And when it comes to really putting you in their shoes, this thing does something that I almost never see done in horror movies in general. But there are moments of mounting tension that have no resolution. Yeah. So every time they search a house, the music swells. Uh, I wouldn't, the ambience swells Mm -hmm. and you get this feeling like around every corner there's going to be something and the camera really tightens up on Ben and it really, you feel like you're following him through this house and at any moment you're expecting him to get attacked from around these corners and every time he eventually clears the house, he holsters his weapon and he goes back and he goes and gets Mickey and it, it's really interesting because not every house that you search will have somebody in it, you know? But every house you search is going to have that tension to it because you don't know until you're done. And they do that in this movie every single time. And I love it. It's awesome. It's this, you know, some people would argue that that's wasted time, but I think it really bolsters it. It gives you this sense that there's constantly this tension, even in the slower moments, even when nothing is happening, you're always having to to watch out for yourself and watch out for your surroundings. Yeah. It's this constant vigilance. Um, which I think is, uh, you know, in every zombie movie, <clears throat> it's kind of an allegory to life itself in that if you're not paying attention, somebody's going to bite your arm off or 
you know, not to carry the metaphor too far, but this world is not a great world and, and kind of everyone is out to get everyone else in a sense. Um, and I think that's where zombie movies really uh, come into play and where they kind of comment on today's society. But this movie, <laughs> coming back to the battery, um, I think I loved so much. I loved, I loved that there were not jump scares. <laughs> I think probably when you mentioned this movie to me the first time and you said it was a horror film and a zombie film, I was excited. And I probably said something to you along the lines of, well, Alec, I don't do jump scares. I don't like that. <laughs> no, and, and I I don't like them really, uh, but as a fan of the horror genre, it's just something that I kind of have learned to put up with. And I have seen them used well. It's not often, but there have been times where I felt like they're justified. But it seems to me that normally when it comes to horror movies, the horror can either mount without them or it relies on them. Uh, and this was one of those this was one of those movies that I really felt like it was perfectly fine and scary on a different level without them. It, was, it wasn't about the zombies weren't what was scary. It was the interaction and the way that this situation, especially this isolation that they go through, because yeah. they only meet three people throughout the entire movie. And it's just that isolation and the desolation and the effect that it has on people and it, it changes what people are willing to do. You know, Ben is willing to put Mickey's life at risk by putting a zombie in his room while he sleeps because he knows that Mickey needs to be able to kill them and that it's going to be in their best interest and it's a horrible thing to do to somebody but it's this situation that's made it made it so that he knows that he has to do that and that's like a really big turn in the movie right like uh, you're you're like you're watching it and and there's so many parts in this movie that a lot like Pulp Fiction you're laughing at which you don't you're laughing at it and you're laughing at an instant where whatever's going on is just a grueling and awful thing but it's just done in such a funny way and and ben particularly is able to just laugh about it afterwards that you feel okay laughing at it like this instance where he puts mickey seriously at risk for his life and you're watching it and it's not funny at all when you're watching it you're like holy crap i can't believe he's doing this and then afterwards when he comes out of it alive it's just kind of funny it's just i don't know why but i was laughing at so many parts in this movie yeah they do a really good job of balancing those two things without tonal without having to change the whole tone of the movie you know there are all of these times where something extremely bad will happen but there's still it's not completely bleak you know ben is able to make a joke or there, there's always it's not bleak a hundred percent of the time because life is never that way life is a series of ups and downs you know there's you can find joy in the worst parts and you can find sadness in the best parts and that's really what this movie does where you can go from a scene that is really really hard to watch or at least experience and then go from that to chuckling over something that happened because that's how life is. It's kind of a, a roller coaster in general. Speaking of that scene where the zombie is put into Mickey's room while he's asleep, this movie, I think, does a really, really good job at not showing us everything. And they do this quite a few times. So, you know, it starts pretty early with even the first scene 
in which Mickey is sitting outside and he's listening to music. He changes his batteries and he goes and he sits on the front porch of this house before Ben comes out running and screaming. He shoots at something inside and then they get out of Dodge. And you just don't have to see that to know what's happening. It's really more about establishing who Mickey is and what he's doing in this world. And then that is extended on later with you never really see what the orchard is. It's this fabled place that supposedly isn't as great as it seems and there's some really dark implications with what we see of it and then even farther it goes to that scene where mickey goes to get the car keys and ben is sitting in the car and it is a unbroken six minute shot of ben sitting in this car i was gonna ask how long that was i timed it this time at six minutes holy crap and ben is sitting in this car and it is a scene that could be extremely boring and it almost is a little bit but it's also extremely nerve-wracking in the lack of anything happening. Yeah. And it's, it's, I love, I've seen this movie a bunch, like I've said, and I love watching Ben's face as he does this because he starts pretty calm and neutral, you know, Mickey's going to get it. It's okay. And then he slowly starts to get a little bit nervous and shifty and he starts playing with the ball a little bit. And then he gets more worked up a little bit and he smokes a cigarette. And eventually you can see this look of, anguish and terror on his face which is a side that we never see of him we've never seen the cracks in this facade of his of this hunter gatherer zombie killer almost leader out of the two of them happy go lucky yeah exactly and we see him get more and more worried about mickey and all these things and he's gets to the point where he's talking to himself he's like come on mickey you got this i know you got this because he knows that if mickey doesn't come back he's dead but that means that he doesn't know what happens to Mickey, this friend that he's become closer with over the course of this movie. And I just, I love, I love that scene. It's really well done and it pu- and it puts you in the shoes of the character and it just does this great job of telling a story without showing you everything. I think it really would have lost something if it cut back in between Mickey running, Ben in the car, Mickey running, Ben smoking a cigarette. I think the fact that it's this unbroken shot of Ben really cranks up the tension in that scene and you really are your mind is racing along with him is Mickey going to come back what's going to happen you know in the same way that it would be in that time for him yeah yeah and I and me experiencing it for the first time I could not look away like it was a boring scene there's nothing actually happening but they did such a good job of maintaining such a high level of tension. And I just, I could not, I, I knew that something had to happen. And even, okay, so in most movies, I think that would probably have been like like two minutes long, maybe. Uh, maybe a minute. <laughs> maybe a minute. And, not, um, and definitely not unbroken. Yeah. It would not be a continuous shot. Six minutes long. I'm staring and I am captured by this moment of this makes or breaks the entire relationship. And then just this roller coaster happens where where Mickey comes back and you're like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Mickey came back. Everything's okay. And then... And this is when it starts getting really rapid, right? I mean, you've had six six minutes of tension and then all of a sudden, like, things just start, like, your mind just starts working and you're like, wait, 
wait, Mickey hasn't said anything yet. This is not good. Like I'm getting really ramped up here. What, what did he get the keys? Did he get the keys? Did he get the keys? Something else is wrong. Something else is wrong. What's wrong? And then you find out it's his hand and he's been bit and what? And, <laughs> and Ben has to, what? <laughs> he's like, he's telling him to get out of the car. Like you can just see he can't, he can't even, he can't do it. He can't bring himself to shoot him, but he knows he has to. Wow. Yeah. And, and he does <laughs> yeah. too in the end and, yeah. and he does and he shoots him yeah. and you don't see the bullet hit Mickey. You just see Ben fire the gun and he sits there and he breathes and he gets more and more worked up and he starts screaming and it cuts off mid scream. And the next shot is his blank face staring straight into the camera and you can see the blood covering the walls of the car behind him. Yep. And you realize that he is now grappling with what he has just done. Yep. And, he, and there's that great, great, great shot where he's talking on the radio. And he's telling Annie about you know what they did up in Pittsfield. He's going to try it now. If it doesn't work, he's gonna pull a bu- I'm going to put a bullet in my brain. But if it does, I'm going to put a bullet in yours. And while he's saying that, and I think that's a great little monologue there, but he takes the baseball, the thing that brought Mickey and him together, and he cuts it open, and he unravels it, and he sees what's at the inside of it. And he cuts away all these layers. He cuts off the leather. He cuts off the string. He peels it apart, and he gets this big ball of string, and he pulls it away. He pulls it away. He pulls it away. And at the core is this small red ball. And in my mind, that was completely symbolic of the core of their friendship. Even though they had all of these hard times, they had these auxiliary things, at their core, they were kind of brothers. And it's really the only time that we see red in the movie a lot. Uh, Mickey has a red hat, and then at the core of this baseball is a red rubber ball, and behind him is a splash of Mickey's blood, and it's bright red. And it's really the only time we see that in the movie, and it's, to me, at least very representative of... Mickey and their friendship together at the core of everything. Holy crap. I didn't even put that together. I, I totally forgot about the baseball. I was just wrapped in shock over what happened. And yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to watch it again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's exactly what that scene was all about. You know, he, he just took the baseball apart. And so for all of you who haven't listened to this or watched the movie yet, um, their general bond is over baseball. they, I think we mentioned it earlier, but yeah, they were the pitcher and the catcher. I mean, this bond was built on baseball and it comes up a lot in the movie. I mean, they're carrying around all the gear, um, you know, exactly. You know, they were in, I guess, I presume they were on the field when the breakout happened and that's how they wound up together. And, And so they have all their gear from exactly that moment. And it's just crazy. Wow. That's such a great insight that that baseball was was them and and it unraveled and at the core was this the blood and guts of true friendship um yeah that's that's a great point there's so many great things in this movie and i loved the all the unseen things so you don't you know you don't see when ben locks the zombie in with mickey you don't see when Mickey goes out of the car. 
you don't see when Ben is clearing the first room uh, or the first house at the beginning of the movie, you don't see what the backstory is. You don't see what actually happened to them in the three months that they were in the house together. You don't see what happens when Ben opens the door at the end and he makes it out, but you don't see it. You don't see what the orchard is. <laughs> you don't see what happens when Ben goes to find the orchard and to kill Anne. And I just love that. I loved it so much. I love that there is so much that you're just not privy to because you're only allowed what's given to you in this relationship between two men that are battling with the end of the world. Um, and you feel it. And you feel them and you feel what they go through. Um, and you identify with them in a lot of ways. I mean, you you love Ben and his resilience. And at the same time, you hate him for being a jerk at certain points. And, and you're mad at Mickey and at so many instances because of his kind of unwillingness to accept what's going on. And at the same time, you you feel that romantic side as well. Like you feel that you would be attached to the past, right? Um, and I don't really know where I'm going with this. I'm ranting at this point, but it was just such a great story. Ah, well, I loved and, it. And I, and I love that dichotomy between the way that each of them deals with this situation that they've been thrust in because really they make up a team. They are a battery. They're a team. And with that, their relationship is what, any person would go through in this situation and they're all they're the they're the yin and the yang of this relationship they're the side that mickey is the side that hangs on to the past and past relationships and wants to shut out the world with things with music he doesn't want to think about it he wants to go back to the time when things were good and then on the flip side ben is the person who lives in the now he's the person who has to deal with things he's the one who watches mickey's ass he's the one who gets the food he comes up with the all these ideas and really every one of us would have a little bit of both of them in us if we were in that situation yeah and i asked you when we were watching it you know what what do you think is more important do you think that in that situation that you would want somebody with you who had the utmost survival skills or would you want somebody that um that that you could live with that you could you could hold on to humanity with that you could relate to and talk to and laugh and uh i think i think that the humanity piece is so important and i think it's looked over in a lot of these zombie kind of worlds like the walking dead everyone's favorite character is daryl and He's just a pure survivalist, right? I mean, he he is the guy who makes it. And, you know, he has a lot of personality to him, but at the same time, he's just, he kind of just lacks the relatability of anybody in what we might consider the real world of, you know, America. <laughs> I mean, suburban America, right? Absolutely. And you touched on this a little bit, how the story of the battery you're not privy to all of these other details because it's really about 
Mickey and Ben and their relationship with each other. And this movie is one of my favorite examples of horror that I would describe as intimate. It's a very personal ties to it's a very personal style of horror. And there are very few movies I have seen that do this particularly well, where you're telling a story that is scary not because somebody's life is at risk and it's not scary because of these grand threats or this big evil that you're having to fight, but it's taking movies like this, The Battery, and Black Swan, and Moon, and it's taking somebody's personal struggles and making it so that you really feel that along with them. And you feel this very personal sense of fear for them, not for the world. And that's what I love about this movie is it's not trying to rebuild humanity. It's not trying to find a cure. It's just living life and all of the challenges that come along with that. Yeah, so I'd love to dig in more into the characters themselves and talk about like what what do you think makes them tick? What do you think um, about the way that Mickey copes versus how, how Ben copes? Um, you know, we see Ben as this, like, <laughs> he, he's, he's, both these guys are just normal guys. Like, they're clearly not um, major league baseball players, right? And they're, they're, you know, you see them with their shirts off multiple times and they're not anything super special. Um, they're just normal dudes and just reacting in very different ways to this apocalypse. Um, and, and their friendship grows in a very unique way. Uh, so what did, what did you think about both of their coping? Yeah. I love looking at the different ways that each of them deals with this situation and a lot of the clashes that come out of that, where Mickey is very much a seclusionist. He likes to put on his headphones, crank up his music, and leave it to Ben to watch out for them. He's not even willing to kill a zombie until about halfway through the movie. And that's even a point of contention between them because they feel very differently about it. Mickey doesn't even want them to kill every single one that they come across, and Ben thinks that it you have to because they're monsters. And so there's that great... there's The, the great struggle between them is should you block out the world or should you take the world completely head-on? And really neither of them is good. Both both extremes of that are totally destructive. Mickey is gonna get himself killed. He can't hear anything, and he won't kill a zombie, and Ben tries to point that out to him many, many times beforehand, and it doesn't work until Mickey is thrown into a life-or-death situation. And then when it comes to Ben, he's so driven to keep moving and just take everything at face value that he not only does it at the cost of his friend, but he makes it so that his life is needlessly harder than it needs to be. You know, he's unwilling to stay anywhere, and if he had been willing to stay at the house for longer, or stay in one place for longer, or something like that, rather than constantly scavenging, he probably never would have encountered Annie, and he probably never would have been shot. But because he was so hell-bent on keeping moving, we have to find things. Even when the car was found warm... 
in all honesty, they should have just left. That's an extremely dangerous situation. But he was so driven to survival that he was going to siphon the gas anyway. And that was what got them into the final situation. So I think really both sides of that are, are destructive, and it's really the balance that they have to find by fighting with each other in order to be able to live the best life they can. Mickey needs to learn to realize, you know, Mickey needs to learn to accept the world for the way it is, but Ben needs to learn to still have joy in his life. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, there's a lot in there on how we as humans just deal, right? Um, and it's it's heart-wrenching, you know, on both sides. It's, it's it, You have Mickey who's just not willing to accept at all what's going on and he he just doesn't get it um and then you have ben who's like you said just so hell-bent on getting every single monster and it almost seems like that's his way of curing what's going on that's his way of fixing it is that he's just going to kill them all and he's going to put them all in the ground for good and and Mickey's response instead is to just ignore it and act like it's not even there. Um, I'd love to go into their friendship and that bond that they have. I mean, it's you almost get to the point where you're like, why in the world is Ben even carrying on this dead weight? Why doesn't he just ditch Mickey and get going and go figure out, you know, whatever it is that he wants to get done or just carry on with what he's doing. You know, he talks about, we're not going anywhere. And that's the point, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's his vision of what, of how he's going to deal with this situation is that he's just going to keep on keeping on. And Mickey wants to stop and smell the flowers almost literally, you know, he smells the perfume. Right. Um, and there's just, there's just so much there. There's so much in the relationship building of like, okay, we're going to start with baseball. And slowly, we're going to keep building this until, you know, we are that team, until we're both pulling our own weight and we're both able to reflect and 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 maintain the joy that's there, right? Yeah, and I love the way that their friendship really is strengthened in a way that can only be strengthened when you're thrust into a life-or-death situation. Mickey even says that they weren't friends before everything went down. They were, Mickey was a starting pitcher and Ben was an established catcher and they were just kind of put together on this team and they weren't friends. They were different circles very much so and they just happened to get stuck together when all this went down for whatever reason that may be. And then it's through the trials and tribulations of this world that they live in and these events that expose who they really, really are that causes them to become as close as they do. I think really if it was in the real world, they would have just thought, oh, well, he's not my type of guy and stuck in their own circles. But because of the way that this world that they live in and this situation that they're in strips them down to who they are at their core, that's really why they not only understand each other 
but are able to be as close as they are and end up working together as a team in the end. They're a completely unlikely pair. They don't really have a lot in common. You would think that they would just be constantly fighting and it would get them killed, but in the end, they end up becoming a really good team together on both sides. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost it's almost like Ben really... I mean, he forces it to happen, right? He He literally throws... <laughs> <laughs> throws Mickey into the fray and gets him out of his own little head. And you can really see that turn and that turn in their relationship where you have this montage afterwards of them, like they're really bonding and they're really becoming friends. And um, you kind of get the picture that they wouldn't have been able to survive as long as they did in the car if that hadn't happened. Yeah, I, I would agree that really despite their differences, the reason that they are there and that they've lived through all these moments without going insane or dying is really because of each other. Not only because of that company aspect, but because each each side forces the other one to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And in the end, it normally gets to be better because of it, and it even gives them the chance to get out of the situation in the car. And that's so highlighted at the very end of the movie in that when Mickey dies, every shred of humanity that was left in Ben dies with him. And you know, you don't know what happens, but you know that when he makes it out of the car, he has lost every shred of what he had left of his humanity. And now his his purpose is not surviving as Ben. His purpose is killing Anne. And there is no Ben, there is no Mickey, there's just killing Anne. Like you said, he stops becoming Ben and he starts becoming Mickey's Avenger. And I would, I don't want this to be a movie, but I think it's really interesting to think of what would happen to Ben if he succeeds. You know, if he goes into this area, into this compound or whatever it is, the orchard, and kills Annie and maybe kills the other people, you know, where does he go after that? I wonder if that would be a hollow victory for him. Would he feel completed? You know, I wonder if he would have any drive to continue to survive because this whole movie, he has been getting closer to Mickey and it's gone from this person who's traveling with me to like my life partner, the person who I'm surviving with and we are friends to the end absolutely we have this complete bond with each other and you know we've both been in danger and we've both come out of it better on the other side so i almost wonder if he would have any desire to continue to survive now that his closest compatriot his blood brother is no longer there and i i i think it's really interesting to think of what his life would be like after he completes his goal if he would just stop trying and die if he would kill himself you know what would i i think it's really interesting to think of where that would go yeah in my mind there's almost no doubt that if he didn't die in the onslaught of um of the orchard trying to kill Anne, then he would just kill himself at the end of it you know it's it's almost like that is a sure thing in my mind um and all of this is really the reason why i i loved the ending and I know that you had a different opinion. 
Yeah, um, I remember you said that you were going to disagree with me, so I'm very this interested to, to talk about <laughs> this with you. Um, this is really going to be the first time that we've disagreed with each other, but I very strongly dislike the last scene in this movie. Uh, you know, Ben says that he's going to go to try to kill Annie, and he pulls all of the drapes off of the car, and he lets all this light in, and he lets the world that they've been trying so hard to push out come to get him and he opens the door to let it all in in the hopes that he'll come out on the other side and he opens the back door and light floods in and he holds his eyes and he holds his hand up to shield his eyes from what happens and then the movie ends and it starts to roll the credits and then it has one more scene where Ben is walking away from the car and he has a horde of the horde of zombies that's been surrounding them for weeks following him and he looks over his shoulder and he adjusts his pack he adjusts his pack and he keeps on moving along and i think that that i think that last scene shows just a little bit too much i love the ambiguity of when he would just open the back door because to him it didn't really matter if he got out because either he would get out and he'd have a chance to avenge his best friend or he would be killed and he wouldn't have to live without him um, but I'm interested to hear uh, what you think about it and why you like it so much. Yeah, so there's two big parts that I love. Um, the first is that it, it it's a throwback to them getting out of the house that you don't really find out until that what happened until the end um, when he's giving his <laughs> message to Anne. Um, but it's it's the throwback to the the part you know basically they open a door on one end of the house and they get out the other side and that's exactly what he's going to do and you know that that's going to happen and so my feeling on knowing that he got out gives me a you know great confidence that they could have done this at any time and it it lets me know that Mickey's sacrifice wasn't you know wasn't needed even right like it just worked and it's like well they could have done that at any point they didn't have to be in there for however many weeks I, I assume they were in the car and that in itself builds up kind of emotion and and just does great story things in my heart <laughs> and the other part is that I want there to be more lingering this 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 part of the ending opens it up more for me um more of the unseen more there's more possibility in him being alive then the it's it's less black and white for me right it's less like okay either he died or he didn't no now it's either he's going to kill Anne or he's going to fail along the way or an infinite other number of possibilities could happen where maybe he, you know, bleeds out from his leg and figures out how to, you know, cut off his leg or something, you know, something crazy where the, just the, the possibilities then for me become endless instead of this black and white, oh, I wonder if he got out of the car. So that's how I disagree with you, Alec. <laughs> I think that's a totally valid <laughs> opinion on the ending, and I think that that makes a whole lot of sense. Well, uh, what about your just general thoughts on the film? I really liked it. Um, I was I was excited for it when you told me about it. I was apprehensive when you said what the budget was. Um, 
but you know, I, I always look forward to um, watching a fun movie with you. And this was a fun movie. This was a really interesting, different, um, just great experience. And I, I enjoyed being pulled in from the very beginning. I enjoyed um, getting to know the characters, hating the characters at certain points, loving them at others. Um, I enjoyed the songs. I enjoyed, you know, kind of dancing along with Ben um, to the, the the anthem of the already defeated. The anthem of already defeated. Great song. Um, I I I loved laughing. I loved nearly crying with this movie. Yeah, um, this movie. It does. It it really it really does almost. It brings me to tears at the end of the movie. Uh, when when Mickey is pleading for his life every time. Uh, and it's not very often that I can have a movie that brings that visceral of an emotion for me. You know, there may be movies where I'll feel sad at the end, but there's not a lot of times where I feel myself on the verge of tears. And this movie really does that. And, and I love that about it. Yeah, I went from I went from busting out laughing to having the tension of something's going to jump out and scare me to you know, uh, nearly, you know, having this great emotional reaction over somebody who I didn't so much care about at the beginning and then slowly started to come to and then realizing at the very end that really when, when that, when Mickey died, that's the end of Ben as well, right? I mean, it's just, it's a sad ending. It's a hard ending. And that's why I was saying, you know, I was, I was in the state of, holy crap, for a long time. And I almost nearly didn't do the intro because I was just, what just happened? And I couldn't I couldn't form words, but luckily we had some difficulties. So <laughs> I got over that. Yeah, we had some technical difficulties that delayed us long enough that we, we were able to compose yourself. A little so, so what did you think uh, the third time around, the first time around? Did you love it? I loved it all three times. Uh, the, the first time around, I watched it just on my own in my basement. It was late. I had headphones on. I really didn't know much going into it. All I had seen is the trailer. And so I really, it was really the most intimate I could think watching that movie would be. I was on my own. I had headphones on. So, you know, there was no other sounds. And so I loved it in that respect. And then the second and third time, I got to experience it with another person, which was. It, it made it a little bit different. It, you know, I, I had a sense of camaraderie in the same way that the characters did in the film where I was experiencing this movie with another person. So all three times it's completely held up, which is why I was so excited to watch it again because I knew that it was going to continue to bring out emotional responses in me and it was going to continue to make me feel and care about these characters and all that. And so... I love this movie. Uh, it's one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite independent movies, and just one of my favorite movies that I've seen recently. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really encourage you guys to go check this out. Um, hopefully you did before listening to this because I think that we spoil a lot of it. And uh, But guys, I, I love this movie and I hope you did too. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Like we said, this movie is available on Amazon Prime, and it is also uh, distributed on their website for very, very cheap. Um, 
as always, links to that will be in the show notes along with links to our future topics so you can get caught up on them if you so wish. Uh, and we in- completely encourage you guys to keep the conversation going. Let us know what you thought about the battery and if you want any future topics. If you want to get in touch with the show, we have a Twitter account which you can follow and talk to us on. That is at IR2Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we also have an email set up, so if you guys want to send us criticism, let us know what you think about the show, about the movies, if you want to suggest future topics, we would love to get reader mail from you guys. Um, we could even read it on the show if that's an incentive or something like that. But uh, anyway, our email is ir2.podcast at gmail.com, and if you care enough about your lovely hosts, we also have Twitters. Yeah, mine's at Thomas K. Brown. Again, that's at Thomas K. Brown. And uh, I'm Alex Stutson, and I am at Padawan Novelist. That is at P-A-D-A-W-A-N-O-V-E-L-I-S-T. Before we go, I want to give a huge shout-out to Chris Eaton. He is the lead singer of uh, Rock Plaza Central, who is the band who did some of the most memorable songs from this movie, um, you can follow him on Twitter. He is at Rock Plaza, at Rock Plaza. Uh, he gave us permission to use his song at the end of the podcast. He's a really nice guy. I encourage you to uh, not only follow him on Twitter, but listen to his music. I love Rock Plaza Central. I found them because of this movie. Um, absolutely love it. Huge shout out to him. Big thanks. Yeah, I literally said, you know, during the dancing scene, this is now my new favorite song. So. Thank you guys over at Lock Rock Plaza. Really love you. Love your music. Absolutely. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back with a, another response next week. And uh, we hope to see you there. Bye, guys. When we dance, we dance together under the